folks. Welcome back to Indaba Africa. This is Chris once again. Welcome to Chris Wyatt Africa on the Indaba Africa channel. Uh, I don't know if we had technical problems or what happened there, but uh, we did uh, start the program with uh, some lovely music from Giselle, of course, with Fitons Mensa, and then after that, we had Sidefest. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Kind of a uh, Namibia theme. Of course, I've got my rugby jersey on as usual. Here you go. Wearing my Velvich's jersey from the 2019 <laughs> Rugby World Cup. Uh, one of two in my collection, including the coveted road jersey from the 2015 Rugby World Cup, which I had a hard time getting. My guest, uh, I think, may have had some technical difficulties and has just popped in now. Hi, Chris. I'm here. Can you hear me? I can. I've got to put you on the screen, though, because you're just a phantom. Nobody can see you. And <laughs> okay. there you are. You're on the screen now. I've just got to adjust it. Okay. Well, welcome. Um, I was getting very concerned that you were actually living in South Africa, not in Namibia, since I figured it was either a network or or a rolling blackout that it struck. <laughs> no, it was just I had Zoom installed on my computer, and somehow I misplaced it, and I had to go back to the browser and... You know, still still just not a technophobe yet. Okay, so we, we've clarified one thing so far in this. By the way, it's more of a conversation than the interview. So, you know, if you want to ask me questions, you're welcome to do that. But uh, so in this conversation, we clarify one thing. You're not a tech geek. We've sorted that part out. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I can help myself. But, you know, it's we – I didn't live in the world of Zoom meetings the past four months. So, um it's it's just one of those things that sometimes you misplace it on your desktop and, and then it just have to start all over again. All right. Well, well, let's go ahead and get started then. You and I have not had a chance to talk ahead of time. So this is definitely a um, from, from my audience, uh, the, the viewing audience that tunes in. Typically what I usually do with most of my guests, although that seems to be less and less common of late, is I like to talk to them ahead of time. We usually do it on WhatsApp or Zoom just to make sure I don't ask anything out of bounds or we don't talk about something sensitive. For instance, Monty Jackson, I don't know if you know Monty Jackson. He's a country musician from South Africa. He'll be coming on the show soon. And um, he uh, he said, can we talk about anything about politics? Because um, so many members of his family have been murdered on farms that he doesn't want to talk about politics. Like, yeah. yeah, no, we, we won't talk about that on the show. So, so you and I didn't get a chance to talk about it. But, but the one ground rule I do have is I don't ask about immediate family members unless my guest wants to talk about them. So if that comes up and you want to talk about it, that's your prerogative. And then we can talk about it. Otherwise, we don't. But some people love to talk about their kids. Some people love to talk about their partner. Some people don't want to talk about how angry they are at their partner. That's a whole other story. But anyway, that's not what we're here for today. So, um, okay, so let's get started. Um, wow, all I got to say is this. Um, I've followed uh, politics in Namibia since it was still, you know, under administration from South Africa when it was Southwest yeah. Africa. And um, I have to, and I also did a lot of research uh, during the German colonial era. And I um, have been to Namibia many, many times. And uh, I honestly, I expected that the ANC would face a legitimate electoral challenge in its fourth or fifth election. And and the Democratic Alliance kind of missed the plot and, and fell back and didn't make a real challenge this last time. But they will face a real challenge in 2021 just because the aura of liberation wears off. And if you don't deliver, people start to get angry. So I didn't honestly think that that was going to happen in Namibia. But wow, let's see, fish rot, service delivery failures, uh, a president completely out of touch with Namibians, threatening white Namibians if they don't vote for SWAPO, they're going to pay a price. Uh, I'd have to say that things change here very, very quickly. Your party, which you're a member of, that's the is it the Independent Patriots for Change? Is that correct? Or did I get it wrong? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay, so your party was just formed by 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 a, a prominent former member of SWAPO uh, who ran against uh, King Guy last year and uh, didn't win, but he did quite well in the poll. So he formed the party in August, and here we are. You guys run, and wow, 
look at the performance. Not just you, but uh, several opposition parties <laughs> have done quite well. The, Swapo lost at least 30 constituencies. If I'm correct, they've lost control of Swakopmund, Luteritz, uh, Vindhoek, and Mal uh, uh Rehoboth. The list goes on and on. They really only seem to have uh, a bastion in the local and regional level still in Ovamboland and up in the north. If, if, I, if I captured it correctly or did I miss something? Well, it's basically we've we've taken the urban areas and pushed Swapo out to the rural areas, basically. So the main centers, which is Vintuk, Swakopmund and Walfish Bay, um, is now I IPC run, as well as Oranje Munt and Luderitz, which uh, we, we didn't contest in the south, um, which is Getman's Whip and Marintal and all of that, because we've got another upcoming party, the LPM. They contested highly in those areas. But we came out strong um, in, in the areas that mattered most, you know, and that's Wolfish Base, Wakapund and Vintuk, which is now under IPC and coalition control. Okay, well, I, I, I'm not allowed to talk because uh, someone on the channel named Afrikaner said in Afrikaans, Chris, please let the lady speak. <laughs> so, apparently, I'm not allowed to talk on my own program. Well, thank you for Afrikaner. Bye, bye, donkey. <laughs> anyway, so, but let me ask you this question. Okay, so I've just listened to your accent. Now, uh, having been in Namibia, of course, I speak German uh, and um, I, I get by in Afrikaans. I understand it, but I don't speak particularly well. But um, Siska Smith Howard. That doesn't now in Namibia. I've seen lots of white folks who are German, who are Afrikaans, even some who are Portuguese. It's not often you come across two Anglo names in the same um, without if, if you don't want to reveal. But the accent doesn't give me the impression that you're anything other than perhaps ethnic German or Afrikaans. Have I missed the ball? Well, I'm I'm quite Afrikaans actually, um, uh -huh. and it's it's a funny story. <laughs> Sorry, I got married three years ago. Congratulations. <laughs> and um, my husband's surname is Howard. And I never got around to change my ID. And then the elections rolled around and we had to give our ID. In. <laughs> so I had to do, I had to make a plan with my maiden surname. So it became Smith Howard, you know, um, just because my ID was still Smith. And, um, but I'm from a very Afrikaans home, um, grew up Afrikaans. My husband is English, um, but he actually grew up in Paul in South Africa, which is also a very Afrikaans town. So um, the accent is definitely Afrikaans. I can speak a little bit of German, but I, I won't put it out there that, that, that I can converse in it. Um, I've, you know, the, the group that we've fallen into here in Swakopmund is obviously very German being Swakopmund. Yep. So I've picked up quite a bit and they, they sort of start off in Afrikaans and then somewhere in the middle of the sentence, they switch over to English and then suddenly to German and the rest of the evening will just be German. So I've really learned to, my ears become quite accustomed to the German Um but I'm Afrikaans. Das habe ich mir gedacht. That's what I thought. Uh, but anyway, but names can be misleading. It's like I, I had uh, someone on Twitter is attacking me, um, spewing all kinds of nonsense, which is based in nothing. And uh, it said that uh, that my audience is 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 all right wingers. And actually, uh, my audience is quite diverse from a standpoint of ethnicity. Uh, it's like they attack my moderators. All your moderators are all white men. But then I had a Zoom session to coordinate, you know, what moderators should be doing. And I'm like. That's a woman. That's a woman. That's a color guy. That's a black woman. That's a black guy. You know, people people make lots of assumptions based on surnames. That's what I'm talking about. And a number of these people were colored in particular had, of course, Afrikaans surnames. So people just assumed that they were white folks. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. so are you from I mean, it's okay, sorry. sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, please go. You're my guest. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No, I said, especially in Namibia, you know, all of our colored people do have Afrikaans surnames. Yeah. So that 
that's why you would be easily be mistaken, you know, because we've had a, a, a Afrikaans, um, big Afrikaans influence. Yeah, well, of course, you're not talking about the Bosters because we wouldn't call them colored. They would take offense to that. <laughs> I am actually talking about the Bosters, but I forgot that you so, you know, that, that you're actually also local. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I do have I do have a few Boster uh, viewers, so we don't want to offend our Boster viewers out there as well. <laughs> but you know, for family in South Africa, and the first time, obviously, when I started speaking about the Bosters, yes. um, they were very they were like, no, 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 we can't say that, no, 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 it's the colors. I said, no, no. You, you you're misunderstanding me. It's a it's an it's ethnic group within Namibia. They've got their own culture. They've got a rich history. Um, I love the traditions. I love the way they've sort of kept themselves together, you know, where they come from and how they've kept all of the old traditions alive. So we must give them the credit by calling them the Bustish. It's a, you know, it's a, it's an honorary name. It's, it's not a derogatory name. Absolutely. By the same token in South Africa, many people who are considered colored take that as they own that they are colored. It's not. Yeah. I mean, I have to, I have to explain it to American audiences. Like I gave a, a lecture a couple of years ago uh, called Great Decisions is a series that Ivy League schools do. And I did this a couple of years ago. And the title, I don't pick the title. They, they, they pick it at Harvard or Yale and then we do it at different universities. <clears throat> and the title of that conversation was South Africa's Fragile Democracy. And so I was talking about it, and I was talking about different ethnicities in South Africa, and I said color, and I said, listen, okay, hang on, hang on. This is not 1950s Selma, Alabama. I went, it's not, it's not a racial insult. That's a term that people take great pride in being called that. Yeah. And by the same token, in Namibia, the Bosters are quite proud of that. And of course, if you know what the word means, you know, it's, it means bastard, but but they own it. They own it, and and rightly so. Yeah. It's good on them. So there you go. Words have to come from somewhere. So, you know, it's, it's names comes from somewhere. So exactly. if that's where it comes from, it doesn't define you. It's yeah. just what you called. So are you from Swakopmund or did you move there? Are you like a carpetbagger who moved in on Swakopmund or did you grow up there? I actually come from Khubabis. I don't know if you know yes. Khubabis. Yes. It, it, amongst some people, it, it's sort of been seen as one of the most racist places in Namibia. <laughs> but it's not the way we grew up. That's so, the, I didn't realize um, that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just it's a very it's a very farmer, farmer orientated place. Um, but it's a brilliant, I had such a lovely childhood, you know, we were so free and it was such a safe community. Um, and like I said to somebody the other day, we had to play with the, the black kids and the colored kids because that's the only kids that were there. We didn't understand what this all was about, you know. Um, so I grew up in Khubabis and then I went to high school in South Africa, actually, uh -huh. and then back to Namibia after that. And then we moved to Swakop shortly after we got married three years ago. And that's part of the reason why I didn't run for town council, because I just felt I hadn't been in Swakop long enough to run um, on the local authority level. Well, let's get around to that because I'm a little confused uh, about the election. OK, I do get the concept that you have local, so municipal elections and and regional elections. I got that. But the, the, the Namibian and the other newspapers were very confusing in the reporting on and the reportage of of what seat you won. So they gave the impression that you're like like sort of like the mayor of Swakopmund now or the count, the head of the council. Then I saw that you were actually appointed the chair of the regional council for that region. And so I'm really confused. I know you won an election. So congratulations. I did see the vote Thank count. <laughs> but what did you win exactly? Do we open up the box to see what it is now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a surprise for me as well. Um, <laughs> so um, I won the, so first and foremost, I stood as a regional councillor candidate. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I won with 47% of the vote, the total vote in Swakopmund, which, you know, 
it's it's not at all by my own doing. That was 100% the people of Swakopmund carried me across the line there. And um, then further to that, once you're in council, council decides who goes to national council and who goes to who's your management committee within the regional council, and then they choose a head of the management committee. Now, the party actually asked me to go to national council, but I declined because I said to them, I, I stood in this region and I want to work in this region. Um, national council is parliament, and I felt I could I could be more of service to the people in Swakopmund as, as a regional councillor. And I took the gamble to, to avail myself as chairperson of the council, and luckily it went that way. So it was part of the negotiations within the coalition and all of that, um, but I got the chair chairmanship for regional council. So that basically means, according to our regional councils act, that I'm the political head in the region. Uh, it's like my sister's son said the other day when I walked in and he saw me for the first time after the elections, he said, Siska, Siska, you know the president of Swakop. And I said, no, I'm the president of the region. <laughs> so, so you can pardon my, my confusion as an American, you know, thousands of miles away because... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yikes. Well, I, I thought I got it correct. And, I, and in the end, I did get it correct. So that's interesting. But yeah. um, well, congratulations on that. Um, and, and some people are like 47 percent. It's not even half. Well, there were a lot of candidates on the ballot. I saw the I saw the tally. Yeah, we were eight, I think. yeah I saw the tally and you you beat the, the Swapco candidate by twenty five hundred votes. That was that was uh, half yeah. your total then. So that was quite impressive. So so for those who are going 47 percent, hey, 47 percent was pretty impressive, I'd say. <laughs> of the total votes, yeah. So the, the other the other seven candidates had to share the remaining fifty three percent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you put it like that, you know, it's and it's not for me to boast about it at all. Um, it's it's basically just to say, um, the people of Swakopmund have spoken. They've they've literally, I've had people, and and you know, I had a couple of American friends across here. I think they left two days before the election, so that they were still part of the the rallies and all of these sort of things. And it was an amazing experience for them. And their first question to me was, "Who's endorsing you? What news stations are endorsing you? Which newspapers and all of that?" I said, "No, no, 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 no. You've 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 got it all wrong. We don't have things like that in our elections. It's it's run from our back pocket. Um, people are are giving up their last two hundred Namibian dollars to pay for posters and things." And I had an amazing team. Um, and if we speak team in political you know, sense, it, it sort of feels like a team that you've put together and you've got a campaign committee and a, all of that. But this is not at all how it happened. It's just a bunch of people that got together and decided they want me as the regional council. And I'm very proud to say I never once asked anybody to campaign for me. It all happened spontaneously. It all happened because the people saw something in me and they wanted me to to take up the flag and walk in the front. And that's that's how we got to where we are. You know, it's it's it was done on a shoestring budget. It was absolutely funded from our, like I said, from our back pockets. And I had the one guy phone me the one day and he said, um, can I send him a, a profile picture? And so I sent him one of my pictures, and and the next minute he sends me a picture back of, of a T-shirt that he's made with my face on it. No way! <laughs> That's some serious enthusiasm. No, I said you can't use your money that you need to buy food with to put my face on a T-shirt. And he said, no, I have to campaign very hard because I want a better future for my children. Oh, that's brilliant. You know, and, and that's sort of what, what happened during this election. Is first and foremost, we heard everybody saying we're tired. Everybody say we're done with the corruption. Everybody wants, um, you know, 
the, the powers that be to stop stealing um, the money that, that should go to the people. And they just decided it's, they, they're done with this and they want change. And that's why we had the results that we had. Yeah, there's a question here from uh, Kyle, who's in South Africa, and he was asking, uh, what's the population? The population of uh, Swakopmund is about 45,000, 45,000, something like that. Yeah. Well, hang on a second. Yeah. Whenever a super chat comes in during Christmas, I have to, oh, 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 Merry Christmas, Daniel Prinsloo. Wow. I always remember Daniel. He's a great, uh, great contributor here in the chat and the channel. And uh, every time I see that, I think of Sandra Prinsloo and the gods must be crazy. So that just kind of takes yeah. me right back. Speaking of which, I watched that movie for the first time in ages the other night. I was just in the mood to watch it, and uh, it's still just as silly as it was back then. And I find it funny because people attacked me. It was it was disrespectful to the sun. Uh, actually, they came out looking pretty good. It was the white folks and the black Africans that looked like buffoons in that movie, not the sun. Uh, but it was kind of yeah. internalistic. But it was, and actually, the actor was born in Botswana but lived in Namibia. The, the gentleman who played the lead role in that it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Daniel says, uh, hi, Chris, please find here with uh, plus or minus three dollars, 50 cents. By oh, he's being funny. He's I, I drink Starbucks, um, these these chocolatey coffee drinks on my show. And, you know, yeah, Frappuccino. And I drink and, and I wear a rugby jersey. So it's kind of my theme. So anyway, so we got a little bit away from that. But no, that's awesome. The enthusiasm there. And, and it is very different. So. So as the head of the region, then that's not the equivalent of like like Alan Windy in in the Western Cape or something like that, is it? I mean, is it as grand as that, or is it more just you know local sort of thing with you know just outside Swakopmund? How's it work? No, it's it's the entire region. So it's Wellfish Bay as well as Swakopmund. It's Hentis Bay, Omaruru, Daurus, which is one of our settlement areas, um, Karabib, and Isakos. It's it's a fairly big region. So it is like, like uh, you know, the the what, what do they call him? The the premier of the Western Cape. Yeah, exactly. So it's sort of it's sort of, sort of similar to that. Um, Ooh, I'm impressed. And it, it it's a big it's a big deal, but you know, I I don't I don't make it a big deal because it's still just a job. You know, it's it's I've been elected to do to do work and everybody that congratulates me as well i say to them well you're just congratulating me because i really want a big bunch of work to do so it's it's not a prize it's not a achievement it's really just somebody somebody believed in me to be able to do the work um and and that's that's what it's about so i don't like the fact that you know i'm, I'm being called the honorable chairperson and every time somebody says honorable i tend to the president just walked in. You know, <laughs> who's, here? who's here? What did yeah. I miss? No, I love that. I love that down to earth. I love that. I appreciate it. It's kind of like a lot of people like, oh, colonel, colonel, because colonels are pretty high rank. And, and yeah, in uniform, yeah. of course, in uniform, I do expect, you know, subordinates to salute. And I return the salute and, you know, proper discipline. But but sometimes people like like that makes you like, I don't know, like the second coming of, I don't know, something. And it's it's not. It's I appreciate the down to earth. Yeah. But let me get a couple comments in here very quickly. So there's someone in the chat who was very, very much a sticky viewer on my channel. And I I haven't seen him in a long time. He's back, I guess, because he saw you were on. Um, and he was wondering if you two know each other. His name is Christoph Havanga. Uh, you might know each other from Paro or from high school or something like that. Do you know Paul him? Paul Gymnasium, yeah. He was, he was my hero. Ah, you do know him. Okay, there you go. Christoph, there's the answer. You guys do know each other. All right, the secret is out. Yeah. Not much of a secret because he kept asking and then someone's asking on his behalf. So so I couldn't ignore it. Um, I, I assume that, well, I don't assume. This is probably, well, come on. You do you know Do you know Johan Eisel and Giselle, the the Afrikaans singer from Namibia? Johan Eisel. Yeah, what? Well, yeah, Giselle. Do you know her? She sings that song "Side Vest." No. Oh my goodness! Oh, they are huge Swakopmund <laughs> fans. 
Sorry. Oh, no, no, it's okay. Well, that, yeah, it's like people ask me, so do you know John Jones? He's a colonel in the army. Yeah, there are 4,000 of us and there are 600,000 in the army. So so didn't need to put exactly. you on the spot like that, but uh, but uh, Giselle's kind well, of a, a celebrity well, there. In there was a fairly good chance that I would know them, so good on you. No, but uh, but uh, Johan and, uh, and Giselle are watching. Uh, Giselle is from Rootfontein. And um, she grew up there. She's a musician. She sings English uh, country music. And she finally released her first album in Afrikaans this year, earlier this year, Fitland's Mensa. And oh. um, she has that song, Sight Vest, which became a big hit a few years ago. That's also on the album. So uh, they're, uh, I'm kind of a patron of Giselle's music. And that's uh, kind of the theme music for my show. And so they are big fans. They were just in Namibia. Our father had a heart attack, unfortunately. So they were up there. And they went to Maltehu. And they did a, uh, she did a concert there, her first concert performance since lockdown. And she did a tribute song she wrote to Jan Spies, which is kind of cool. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, because he was one of our greats. Indeed. indeed. Yeah. yeah, so it's a beautiful song. Uh, if you want, I'll share it with you after the show if you're interested. But, uh, yeah, please do. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty cool. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to put you on a spot like that. We're here to talk about Whoa. it. Yeah, but uh, based on... I'm I get I get put on the spot all the time. Well, now you so, will. So, you know, Donald Trump no. said he wasn't a politician. You said you're not a politician. But Donald Trump, whatever he says, now is a politician. He served. You are now serving in elected office. So whether you want to be a politician or not, you may not have the worldview of a politician, but technically you are a politician. So with that in mind, um, you weren't in politics. And um, this party was formed in August and it just rocked up in the shores of Namibia in August. And you stood and there you are. And... What the heck? How did you get into politics? I mean, where did this come from? Uh, obviously, I suspect that you're concerned about the direction of things and you want to make a difference. Yeah. Look, we being in the Iranga region, we were hardest hit with the lockdown. So when and and we sort of believe it's because half of Iranga region, you know, voted for Dr. Itula last year during his independent candidacy when he ran for president. So we we sort of jokingly go and say, yeah, um, Hagi closed us down to punish us. But you know what? It, it was a very difficult time, and I, for one, I'm I find it very difficult to be confined and to be under strict laws that I don't understand. So if I understand something, then you know I can clear it up in my head. But if I don't understand something, it, it's a mess, and I couldn't understand why we were we were being placed under such severe lockdown. You know, um, and I could see every day how small businesses are closing down. I could see people coming out to the street, beggars. It's not a culture that we have in Namibia is having beggars on the street. And suddenly in our beautiful Swakopmund, I could see how the people are suffering, you know, and how people have lost their jobs because it's a tourism hub and we didn't have any tourists. And I, you know, I, the, the Afrikaans word, I, I can't say the English word, but the Afrikaans word is khatful. You've had enough. Yeah, there's, there's no English word as descriptive as hutful. No, that's and why I say so, hutful all the time. <laughs> yeah, I got very, very hutful. <laughs> and, um, and there was a protest, protest action running and I decided to join in. And obviously having the personality that, I, that I've got, um, I put posters all over my car and it was... Huggy, when are you coming out of exile? Because it looks like you went into hiding again. And it was all sort of, you know, funny stuff. And and I put up Chinese words and I said, probably the only language you understand and, you know, things like that. So <laughs> That's cheeky. That's cheeky. <laughs> I love it. So, um, so obviously it caught some attention. And the police weren't very happy with me. And I, I drive a big 
Volkswagen bus. So I've got a lot of space to put a lot of posters on and I've had these massive Namibian flags flying and I just drove around like that. And then the one day returning from one of the protest actions, I had the lady that works for us in the house with me. Um, and I said, and, and the police stopped me. So it was a policeman and 11 guys from the army, 11 NDF guys in, in uniform and um, two policemen in civvies. And I said to Sylvia, our only defense here is you record everything. So turn the video on and record. Mm -hmm. And anyway, this, this guy comes up to my window and he starts, you know, I need to get out of the car. And I said, so I'm not getting out of the car. I said, why? Why do you need me to get out of the car? No, 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 because they want to, they want to talk to me. I said, but you can talk to me through my window. I'm not getting out of the car. I mean, it is Corona. We're supposed to have social distancing. So I kept on playing this whole thing. Uh, and it, it turned out to be probably a four or five minute video of me and, and this policeman having a debate about the do's and don'ts. And, and I totally told him exactly what the law says, what I'm allowed to do and not allowed to do. And, and in the end, I said to him, well, either you have to charge me so that I can phone my lawyer or I'm going to leave. Yeah. And he sort of didn't have a have an answer because I hadn't done anything wrong. And sorry, part of what he had said to me is that I'm first and foremost, I'm not allowed to put posters of the president on my car. And I said to him, why not? And he said to me, no, 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 because he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> I said to him, first of all, we're not North Korea. I said to him, and second of all, you can phone him. I'd love to speak to him. So please phone him so that he can come and defend himself. Exactly. You know, <laughs> and, but eventually, you know, it, it, it all we parted ways and that video went absolutely viral. Well, viral in Namibia means 10,000 views. Yeah. And um, then after that, people started recognizing me. So it was like, oh, is yes, Siska? Is yes, Siska? Yes, I'm Siska. Yes, yes, yes. You know, and we got invited to, um, if I say we, that's, that's our protest action group, got invited to um, speak with the IPC. So I'd known about Dr. Utula, but I, I didn't really know about this new party. And nobody did. So yeah, you can be excused. And I went there the evening and, you know, it's, it's the, everybody's wearing the masks and, and it was quite funny because it's all these black guys walking in from IPC wearing their masks and all these white Af and Afrikaans and German people sitting there without their masks on. <laughs> and we were sort of like, okay, no, none of us really know what to do now. But anyway, and they gave us this whole political thing, you know, we want to bring change and we want to do good. And, uh, you know, you, you go through the motions. And, and I asked one of the guys, and his name's Joram. He's become a very, very good friend of mine. And I said to him, Joram, first of all, lower the mask. I need to see your face. And second of all, tell me, why you joined. I need to understand what made you join. Mm -hmm. And he sort of, you know, the minute the mask came down, all the walls came down with it. And he sort of looked down at his feet. And, and when he looked back up, he said to me, I want a better future for my children in this country. And just there, I said to him, well, where do I sign up? Because if that's the answer, then I'm on board. But if you were going to give me any other political nonsense, then I would have walked away and said, no, this is really not for me. And then we had to form a branch. So the whole party structure is you form these small branches because it just makes administration easier. It makes communication easier, all of these sort of things. 
And I joined the Velvicha branch and I got um, elected as vice chairman. So myself, <laughs> yeah, 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 you see, but that's the, the Velvichas. So myself and Joachim von Wittesheim, his dad used to be in parliament, um, Anton von Wittesheim. So we sort of said to each other, you know, wherever there's an opening, if, be it in local authority or regional council, we'll step in there unless somebody else wants to take it because we're actually the leaders in the branch. And then two of our branch members stood up and said they want to, to run for local authority. And then myself and Joachim said, but we'll run for regional then. And because I was in the upper structure of the branch, I get I got to know a lot of the other guys in the branches. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the other people in, in Swakopmund, we, we got to deal with quite closely. And then when our names came back from Vintuk, because we're also the only party in Namibia that have a minimum requirement of a grade 12. You know, so, oh, so everybody the, the had to go back. requires an education minimum level in order to stand as a candidate. Yeah. yeah. Not to be a yeah. member of the so party, but just to stand as a candidate. Yeah, that's the only it's the only party that's that's got that in Namibia. Um, yeah, so when our names came back, I started getting phone calls from the guys in in you know in the in the in the black area saying, please just come and talk to our people, talk to our people. And I was sort of taken aback, and I said to them, but but why? I'm a white woman. Why would you want me to come and and talk to your people? And they said, no, 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 no. We we need to we need you to come and speak to our people. Please come, you know. And 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 we were sort of lived in a in a country where you were made to believe that there's this big divide yeah. you know and and the one doesn't like the other and the other one doesn't like the other and we always knew that from our side it wasn't like that but now for the first time i could see from the other side it's also not like that yeah that's what they want and you to know, believe that's what they want you, that's to what believe. They want you to believe. yeah and and that became part of my my campaign message as well is that that Swapo went and said, you black people, you stand over there mm -hmm. and you white people, you stand over there so that we can do whatever we want up here. Because they, they understood that if the nation comes together down here, they've got no power whatsoever. Yep. And and they didn't take that into account this election. You know, and, and with the with the speeches that they made about slitting the throats of the opposition and the white are calling for war you know they just unified everybody mm -hmm. that's what they did with with those those sort of um you know things they said and yeah so the the guys invited me to come and speak and i went into the deep drc you know we've got the 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 temporary um resettlement of the temporary settlement in swakopmund which is called the drc and there's twenty five thousand people living in shacks there so i went right into the drc you know every weekend um most most weeknights and we just had discussions mm -hmm. and we were actually able to to come together you know and and speak about things and they they adopted me as sort of the mother of Swakopmund I'm only 37 years old but I became the mother of Swakopmund because finally there was somebody willing to work for the people you know all they had ever known in the last 30 years is people abusing the office yeah. um now there was somebody that wanted to work for the people and, you know, people like the story about Mario that I told you about the T-shirt. Um, when we got our sample ballots, for instance, they rushed to get it and to make copies on their own dime. And they went around door to door teaching people how to make the cross, um, who to vote for, what my face looks like, you know. <laughs> and there's still people in the street. And then when I drive past, they take my poster like this and they go, it's you, it's you, it's you. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> And, and that's the work that they that they did 
in the township areas. And that's why I said to you, I, I never campaigned. I never asked anybody to, to campaign for me. So then further what happened to that is we had an internal vote um, to determine who's the candidates within the party. Because that's the nice thing about IPC as well. We're very democratically structured. So you have to be voted in by the people into a position. The party doesn't decide who's going to be their candidates. Mm -hmm. So it's grassroots democracy. And um, so I was voted in as the candidate for regional council. And then we also elected our, our top 10 for local authority. And how the election works with regards to the two, the difference is with local authority. We've got 10 seats in our municipality, in our local authority. Mm -hmm. So if the party gets 10% of the vote, we get one seat. 20%, two seats, 30%, three seats, and so forth. Whereas with regional, you've got one candidate and people need to vote for that one candidate. Um, so it was, a, it was a, a double election, you know, it was for, for two, two positions. And yeah, that's, that's how I ended up in politics. And if you had asked me three months ago if I would be sitting here and having my, my face on all the newspapers and doing Zoom meetings with America, I would have said there's not a chance. <laughs> but, <here laughs> but, I am. but here you are. <laughs> Folks, I need to do this now. A little bit of housekeeping. I'm a bit tardy, but I didn't want to interrupt my guest. That was quite an interesting uh, segue she was talking about there how she came to the office but uh, you're listening to chris white africa on the adab africa channel here live on youtube thanks a lot for tuning in we really appreciate it bye bye donkey feeling dunk for everyone who's watching the program my special feature guest today is siska smith howard uh, <laughs> because her her voter id card was a little out of date so in order to vote she had to mess around so that explains why we had uh, different names reported in different places people are a little confused but uh you mentioned something i think is very important here it's it's um there are so many people who seek to divide us whether we're muslims or christians jews white black colored basta you know san they're always trying to break and divide people and 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 there's a there's a cautionary tale here and it is zimbabwe and i've talked about this since the farm invasions took place there 20 years ago and all the lies that were spewed about Zimbabwe and continue to this day and, and blame me on one group. And when they marginalize and blame on that group and get rid of them, then they turn on each other. And that's what's been happening in Zimbabwe. So, for instance, you, you stood for office and and you overcame, uh, well, not overcame, but you, you dispelled the myth that the black folks and white folks don't get along. That's simply not true. Um, it's the people who want to divide us. The perfect case of this is Roy Bennett from uh, the MDC in Zimbabwe, who sadly passed away in a helicopter crash a couple years ago. But Roy Bennett stood in a, um, in a Mashonaland constituency against ZANU, and his constituents were nearly 98% black Zimbabweans. Yet he won overwhelming time and again for that seat. Um, he was beloved by people there because he was a great human being. And the fact that he had you know pink skin like I have had no impact on whether they voted for him or not. He was their representative. And, and, and that's awesome. And by the same token, you know, here in America, we had, you know, 50 million plus white Americans who voted for Barack Obama. So, you know, when people uh, get past this nonsense, it's a good day. And it's great to see that you got out in the in the equivalent of what we'd say in South Africa is a township with the DRC. It's like a township, essentially. Yeah. So you got out in the township and, 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 and you got amongst people. This, Siska, is what I keep telling the opposition parties in South Africa. Why are you not in, in Alexandria? Why are you not in Soweto? Why are you not in Kinesia? Why are you not out in the townships and the roars? In order to attract people, you can't rock up 90 days before an election. Now, in your case, that's a little different. Your party didn't exist till 90 days before, but that's, that's an outlier. But these parties exist. If they want to win municipal elections like you guys have done in 2021, they need to be out there. 
and they're not. And I think that's a real problem. So uh, for you getting elected, um, what's it like now? And, and when and when are you already seated or do you take office in January? Where are we at on that? No, I'm already seated. Um, I sort of we had our swearing in ceremony uh, two weeks ago. And straight after that, I decided, you know, the work's not going to wait for anybody. So I jumped right in. And luckily, we've got a very good council set up in Swakopmund. Um, the Irongo Regional Council is based in Swakopmund. And our CRO, which is our t chief regional officer, she put up a, a very nice induction workshop, um, which we had beginning of last week. You know, and, and I decided straight on, I've, I've got to start working. And I'm also the spokesperson for IPC in the Urongo region. So I, I sort of wear both hats, um, but but do the same job. So it's basically from the party's perspective to pull everything in the same direction. Um, so I've got constant communication with the guys in Wallfish Bay on, on local authority level. I had a big meeting with, with our town council this afternoon in Swakopmund. Um, I've got one scheduled in Hentis Bay for tomorrow. I spoke with Omaruru today. So to sort of bring it all together as a region, both from from office side, as in the regional councillor and chairperson for the regional council, but as well as the spokesperson for the IPC. Um, and that's quite nice, you know, be because we're such a grassroots democracy um, party, many of the other parties have now gotten to know us post-election, you know, and especially myself and Dr. Ritula, who, who work closely together, you know, and they already saying, sure, we, we want to be your candidates next time round, you know, because they could see what the party now stands for. And, and we all for the constitution of Namibia. If it's not defined in the constitution, we sort of say, well, we can't help you because we we champions for the constitution because we've got a great constitution. It's just never been administered correctly, you know. Um, so that's that's what's nice about my office because I've got both hats. I can sort of you know, um, be in touch with everybody from an IPC level. So all the candidates from IPC level to make sure we pull through our our mandate um, as well as to, uh, not our mandate, our manifesto, as well as to be on regional level where I can assist, you know, on a, on a more on a ministerial, you know, the, the champion between local and, and the ministries, um, which, which I find quite suiting. <laughs> Well, it is interesting because across the board, the Landless People's Movement, um, the IPC, uh, many parties uh, did quite well. But the main opposition party is a laggard, didn't do very well in this election. And SWAPA was crushed other than the rural areas. They were absolutely crushed. Um, and I think that a lot of senior leaders in SWAPA seem to be surprised. I don't know how they're surprised. I actually predicted that they were going to lose a lot of seats. I'm not even Namibian. I can see that. But they, they seem very detached from their voter base. And uh, they made some very big mistakes. We saw Shali, the former commander of the Namibian Defense Force, making threatening remarks against white Namibians. Uh, and, and I don't have any data to support this, but for having talked to a lot of Namibians, it appears as if white Namibians, which are about 7 8% of the population roughly, um, came out in droves. Uh, people who don't normally vote because they were so angry at this assault on them and people who hadn't even been involved in the uh, electoral process said, no, I don't, I don't like to stand for this. Now, I don't, that's anecdotal evidence of it, but, but uh, do you think that's accurate or, or did, did people were angry? It wasn't just white Namibians and shit. Lots of black Namibians were angry about what uh, King, Gab, uh, King Gab and, and what Charlie said about white Namibians. A lot of black Namibians voted because of that. Yeah. Look, it's, it's, it's definitely true. And, and a big part had to do with it. Um, so I created a, a, a sort of just a Facebook group called Liberty Defenders, okay. which I created, you know, to do voter education and to get people sort of fired up to vote. And that was 
long before I even stood as a candidate. Um, so because I wanted, you know, people to understand that your vote counts. Um, and and that made that made good grounds amongst the white voters um, because suddenly there was somebody, you know, from the white community speaking from that background and saying, "Listen, guys, we've we've the time has come. You've got to stand up for what you believe in. You you can't shout from from the couch anymore. You know, you can't just moan and groan and not do anything. Get up off your bum and go and make your cross so that you can at least have, you know, a say in something." Mm-hmm. And I had so many people come up to me afterwards and, and sending me messages and saying, well, that really inspired them to do similar things and to inspire their friends and families to come out and vote. You know, and, and the big thing is it was just sort of a, a perfect storm because we've got IPC. So for the first time, there was a, po- a party that you could go and vote for. Mm-hmm. You know, for 30 years, we were all sitting on the sideline because we didn't know who to vote for. You were sort of like, who do I know? I, I, I know I should vote. But do I give, you know, rather the devil you know than the devil you don't. So who do, who do I give the power to now? And with IBC, I think it was just a, a clear-cut thing. This is what we have to do. And, and that's why the people came out in their droves. And, you know, the nice thing about this election as well is we've got the residence associations in many of the towns, but they can only contest on local authority level. So many of the local authority, um, the, the residence associations, also endorsed me as candidate. You know, and that's why it went so much, the, the, the vote was so much higher on the regional side than it was on the local side, because many of the associations who can't run on regional level endorsed me as their candidate. You know, so I, I really, it, 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 it worked out very well for me in that, in that sense. No, that's great. You know, it's 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 interesting to to see how things have developed here with all these parties. I mean, I, I don't I don't know if you want to get into it. We won't really talk about it, but the... Um, Vintok is now out of the control of Swapo. Uh, Swapo, excuse me. I started to say Swapo Moon. Out of Swapo's control. <laughs> What's that? I, say, I sometimes find myself making the same mistake. You would say Swapo and then you would just put the P at the end and you're like, oh, damn it. <laughs> exactly. I've never done it. That's the first time. But yeah, I could see how it would be easy to do. Uh, but uh, they've lost They've lost control of Vintok. And uh and uh, there is a coalition of opposition parties, although the Landless People's Movement didn't join it. But uh, the mayor, of course, is a person who famously said, well, you should occupy land. It's your right to just occupy land. Not exactly a law and order candidate. Job, uh, uh, is it Amapula? Uh, Amupanda. Amupanda, yeah, Amupanda. He's the, uh, now the mayor. And we'll see what happens there. But it was interesting. He said that uh, I'm not going to wear the, uh, the chain. The, it's a vestige of colonialism. Okay. I mean, I think it's kind of an anachronistic sort of thing, too. It's kind of a European sort of thing. We don't really do that much here in the States, yeah. but so I get that. But um, then why'd you become mayor? That's kind of an, a, a colonial sort of thing, too. <laughs> there, was, there was actually more to that story, and I must give credit where it's due. Um, the city of Vintuk had spent almost 500 Namibian, 500,000 Namibian dollars on fixing that chain. Oh, my God. During during 2019 and when that story came out job actually said that if he someday becomes mayor he won't wear such a heavy chain meaning it's so heavy in the amount of money that sure. that's in it you know as well as it's like our mayor from from Walfish Bay said he sort of feels he should wash the black of corruption off yeah you know so there's, there's something in the chain much more then, you know, what the media makes of it, he's this whole, it's about colonialism and all of those sort of things. In the last 30 years, that chain also hang, 
you know, it hung around necks that wasn't good for it. And there was a lot of money that went specifically into the chain that could have gone to the people. And and I thought to myself when I heard that, you know what, good on you, because I would also refuse something that had cost the people 500000 um, and it, and these people sitting in checks. Oh, absolutely. You know, so, I, I don't disagree with that at all. That's, uh, but he did say yeah. the colonial remark. That's why I yeah, mentioned yeah, yeah. a video about that. But but that's more of a yeah, backstory. Yeah. So uh, we'll have to give him credit for that. The, his Part of his mm-hmm. issue was less colonial, and it seems more that it was a huge waste of, of, of state resources, uh, which are actually the citizens' yeah. resources. So in, mm-hmm. in in the region where you're at, so Swakamu and about 45,000, how many people are actually in the region that you're responsible for now, roughly? Is it Can over I quickly 100? Google Oh, no, I didn't mean to put you on the spot like that. Okay, let's move on to another topic very quickly. Moving. <laughs> but, but, no problem. Yeah, I think it's over 100,000. Yeah, I think that's where it's um, at, but I, I didn't want to put you on the spot. Yeah, we've got fairly big towns. Yeah. You know, it must be it must be closer to 120 if I if I take a quick guess. Yeah, because you yeah. Walfus Bay is also part of that that area, right? So, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's the yeah. other major settlement there. But I, this is very mm-hmm. quickly for Johan Eisel and for Giselle. Listen, uh, Johan, we're going to have to talk about your media campaign here. You're, I mean, the fact that any Afrikaans-speaking Namibian doesn't know who Giselle is, that's not acceptable. We're going to have to work on that. We're going to have to work on that. And an and insult to injury, an Afrikaans speaker from Swakopmund. Oh, my goodness. She is like the uh, the uh, the spokesman for one of the one of the hotels there. Huge spokesman, yeah. Oh my goodness, uh, Johan. Well, I'll have to meet her. What's that? I'll have to meet her when she comes back here. Oh, absolutely. So we'll set up a coffee date. Absolutely, absolutely. She's great. You'll love her daughter. Her daughter is a beautiful little child, about uh, going on two years old now. She's adorable. Her name is El Jose. Anyway, so uh, when you do get to meet them, you'll you'll enjoy it. <laughs> Yikes. Well, you know it's. Um, we'll send you a selfie. What's that? A selfie. We'll send you a selfie. There you go. Let <laughs> me bring it. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Rub it in that I don't get to be in Swakopmund. Thanks a lot. I appreciate yeah, that. Thank you. By the way, I'm, I'm not a beach person. So when I come to Swakopmund, it's not for the beaches. Besides that, water is cold. It's not for me. <laughs> Even in the summertime, that's cold water. But uh, but I, I do love, um, I'm a huge, uh, I'm a historian, of course, and a political scientist. But uh, German history is one of the things I do research on ethnic Germans. And so that's one of the big reasons why I like a Swakopmund. And also after that drive from Vintok, it's nice to actually see civilization after that long stretch of nothing. But uh, for me, the German architecture, the the Germanness of it's, it's one of the big draws for me. That's why I, I come to Swakopmund. But I, I appreciate that people go there for for other things. But you know, I've never never done the things a lot of people do. So the quad bikes, the you know, on the dunes, and then the skydiving. I'll never do that one. But the quad bikes, I'm up for. But uh, so Swakopmund, it's, it's it's quite a beautiful coastal location there. A lot of people don't know about it. And it, uh, it's uh, just north of Walfish Bay or Walvis Bay, depending on how you pronounce that. But um, how is it like for you? You say you've been there three years now. Obviously, you must like Swakopmund. Yeah, no, for sure. We actually, my husband is quite a, you know, we're we both quite active people, but he does surf skiing as a sport. So to do surf skiing, you have to be at the coast. Um Actually, you and I are talking about the coastline and that we we did a tour last year. We himself and, and three other chaps paddled from Luderitz all the way back to Swakopmund, you know. Wow. And that was a day, you know, paddle through the, the most remote area in the world um, along the, 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 the southern part of the Skeleton Coast, which was 
which was amazing, you know, and, and you get back to civilization and your phone starts beeping and, and you sort of just want to turn the car around and go back into the desert because it's just so incredibly blissful and it's just so peaceful. Yeah. And and there's just something something really special to this desert, you know, and Swakop forms part of the desert. Um, once, once you lived here, I know many of my friends that's lived here for a short while, you know, they, they moved back to Vinter very quickly because they said, no, they can't stand all the you know, the foggy weather and the wind and all of that. But but I love it. I adore Swakop Moon. I love the people in Swakop Moon. I've made tremendous friends, you know, this whole group that I've worked with now during the elections, there's there's no way for me to to not be a part of them. They've really become close close friends. And and that was that was quite, you know, eye opening for me. Um the minute IPC came around and the minute we started with these elections, it's like my husband always also says, he says, it's sort of like the veil of color disappeared. It's like there's no racism, there's no mention of color. And I think what the party did very, very well and what Dr. Itula did very well is the fact that we call ourselves patriots. Yeah. You you can't go wrong if you call yourself a patriot. I mean there's there's nothing offensive about it you're, you're a patriot you love your country you love the people of your country so we, we refer to each other as as my fellow patriot and and i find it it's i find it something very special you know if i can call somebody a patriot I, it's it's actually quite funny a, fr a friend of mine who lives in in somerset west he commented something on my facebook but he's quite active on my facebook and one of my other patriot friends came in and called him a patriot and he immediately phoned me. He said, "Sisko, I'll have to get my membership card." <laughs> I said, you know, it's out there, you know. So that's what's so cool about IPC, and they really—I've got a sticker on the back of my car that says, "I am IPC," and wherever I park, and people see it, it's like this wall comes down, and they—they they come up to you, and they want to know who you are, and and why IPC, and have you met Doctor Itula, you know? And it's this whole conversation starter. And it, it's, we've never experienced that before. You know, I've, I've always had, um, you know, interactions across the racial lines, but now it's it's a coming together. We, we're all Namibian. There's nothing that that's different. It's it's just, you're a Namibian, I'm a Namibian, and, and that's it, and we call each other patriot. And I think that's sort of what's happened now with IPC. Um, and it, it, it's the same feeling everywhere. No, it's it's beautiful. It's uh, but I have to say, I have to admit this. Um, having been to Swakopmund a few times, uh, it always struck me as kind of a really sleepy, hollow place. I can't imagine the rallies and and the noise and people <laughs> campaigning. I'm trying to picture that. I'm like, gosh, it's like the quietest place I've ever been. That's actually a town. Uh, it's, it's, uh, so just yeah. trying to picture uh, trying to picture rallies. But but I can I can I can sense enthusiasm. I saw photographs people posted all over social media and stuff that appeared in, in, in the in the press. People were truly excited about the, the potential for change in Swakopmund. That's really awesome. Now, as on the regional count, uh, body, will, will you have a lot of independence or see in South Africa? One of the problems that the municipalities have is that much of their funding is determined by the national government, which is controlled by one party and say in the Western Cape, a different party controls Western Cape and Cape Town. Mm -hmm. So they can constrain the resources, plus they control the police. And so it's a national level function. Do you have a lot of uh, autonomy or are you dependent on what the central government sends down and allocates to you? And, and, and do they have any kind of direct control over what you do? Well, to a certain extent um, and, and, and to, you know, to a majority extent, I would say they do have control. But we ha we have a very different uh, and it, and it even became clear, you know, when when 
sorry, I'm, I've, I've become like Dr. Itula where I tell the whole story to get to a point. Um, but it's, <laughs> I it's do become the same. <laughs> right. <laughs> when, it's become clear to me that, that for the last 30 years, you know, the black guys have always voted. They've always been in line to vote. So, and that's something we missed out on. So when we started with this campaign as well, I wanted to come in there sort of with, with my white structure of doing things. You know, we've got to have a plan and this is the media and this is how we're going to, this is when we're talking to the radio and all of that. And I very soon realized, Siska, you, you're not the expert here. You're a very, very big novice in this whole thing. You've never been involved in politics. You've never been involved in voting. You don't know what you're talking about. You've got to let it over, hand it over to the guys that's that's in the know, you know. And and that's the same thing. They actually mentioned the word um, politically mature. Mm-hmm. And I got back home and I thought to myself, sure, because our black guys see Namibia as politically mature and they directly um, compare us to South Africa. And that's the big difference between Namibia and South Africa. We are more politically mature. So we don't have that structure that the ANC has. We, if you're not with us, you are totally against us and we will cut you off and cut you up as best we can. Mm-hmm. You know, so, but they, they also have the electorate still, you know, they've, they've got a big enough majority to do that. Swapu doesn't have that luxury anymore. You know, they, they came out with a bloody nose in this this election. So they know they need to either toe the line or things are going to just go downhill from here. And that's exactly what I say to our guys on this side as well. I say to them, even if we just put the pressure on for long, long enough and hard enough that they start doing the things they're supposed to do, then we've also won. You know, it's just important. We must at all times look at what's best for the people. And if we put the pressure on, and and they start doing the things that's that's in the you know in the benefit of the people. Then we've also won, and and I think that's what Swapu is now realizing. There's a one of my Swapu friends phoned me actually after the election. He said Siska Heads is about to roll, because they they realize they've come out, out out of this one with this you know by the by the skin of their nose. So the, so they really need to dig in and and make some changes. And that's that's what we want, you know. We we want to have that pressure on to say, well, do what you're supposed to do, you know. And that's where we differ from South Africa. South Africa doesn't have that that maturity. So even if Swapu tries to sort of limit us on resources and these sort of things on a regional level, um, we just have to going to deal with it, you know. And 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 then I'll I'm a bit of a bully in that sense. I'll go the private sector route. I'll make sure I use my mandate to still get the funding in from somewhere, you know, and, and there's lots of people standing in line now suddenly when they realize there's, there's not this big, you know, bad pot of corruption where all the funds are going in. So I think that's, uh, yeah, I'm positive and I'm, I'm optimistic that they won't play any funny business with us, you know, because at the end of the day, it is still for the betterment of the people. And I think that's where Swapu still, that's still at the heart of Swapu is to, you know, not steal everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, listen, I, you know, people aren't outside Namibia aren't paying enough attention to fish rot. A lot of people are really angry about fish rot in Namibia. That's for those who don't know, that's the scandal in which an Icelandic, uh, the largest Icelandic fishing company was taking illegal fishing and exceeding their quotas because they're paying bribes off to government ministers. And this has been a devastating situation for Swapo and they kind of ignored it until, until it blew up in their face. And now it's a real serious issue for them. 
But I have to say this, Siska. Um, you know, um, I've 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 been telling South Africans this ever since I really started. You know, I retired from the army uh, active service in October of last year. Was at the World Cup, hence the jersey. You know, <laughs> I'm a I'm, I'm a Springbok and a Velvicha fan. Uh, but of course, when they play the Springboks, sorry, I'm the Springbok fan. But uh, but uh, well, have anyway. you seen have you seen when Namibia plays the Springboks? That when the Springboks um, scores a try, the Namibians jump up as well. Yeah, <laughs> so I know it's, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've actually I, I was at the uh, the Georgia game in uh, in uh, England in 2015 when they nearly beat Georgia 17-16 and Jacques Borger got, Jacques Borger got injured. I was that was that was that was, was so close. I thought I had a terrible seat. I was sitting at the end of the of the field and behind the try line and I'm like this is a terrible spot and then almost the entire game was played right in front of me like whoa that worked out well and then I actually um was really looking forward to the Canada game in Japan because I was in Japan but I didn't have tickets for it but I was going to watch on TV there and it was wiped out because I thought they win their first time yeah. ever but they didn't do it but, but what I want to say yeah, yeah, I think I think Canada Canada was a wounded duck. They barely got into the World Cup. They were the third. They didn't get the Americas. See, they got the Raypage, so they were lucky to get in. I, I thought for sure that uh, that the 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 uh, Velviches were going to take them out, but gosh, anyway, but next time, next time. But uh, I'm a very very big rugby fan. So are you serious? I've I haven't missed a World Cup. I've got my two Namibian jerseys. I've got the one for the previous World Cup and the one for this World Cup. And um, my, my poor husband, when it's World Cup, you know, when it's on, I, I park in front of the television. I take off from work because I've got to watch the World Cup. I'm the same with the Olympics. Um, so for me, it's, you know, um, my my friend who was in matric with me, we've got the biggest interschools in the world between Paul Gymnasium and Paul Boys Eye. And I took my husband because he was actually in Paul Boy's Eye. And I took him back to interschools last year. And the poor man, from 2 o'clock the afternoon when we arrived in Paul, up until the last game had played on Saturday afternoon, we had watched all the games in between. And at the end of the day, he said to me, can we not watch rugby for a while? <laughs> oh, no, said, no, 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 no. <laughs> playing. And he's like, no, no, no. Can we please just – can we – I'm just a bit tired now, <laughs> so I'm a very, very big rugby fan. Well, you've just secured yourself a slot on this program anytime you would like to come on, just on the basis of that alone. Plus, I've I've been every world. What's that? World Cup time. Oh, absolutely. Well, I've I've yeah. been I've been to every World Cup since 2011. New Zealand 2011, <laughs> Paris for the women in 2014, Ooh. England 2015. Ireland 2017 for the women, San Francisco for the sevens in 2018, and Japan in 2019. All of those World Cups. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well done. Yeah. So, um, folks, you're listening to Chris White Africa on the Adaba Africa channel here live on YouTube. My special feature guest today is Siska Smith Howard, who is. Uh, she stood for office uh, for a new party, the IPC, uh, there in Namibia, and the opposition party clobbered. The, uh, the ruling Swapo party in Namibia, and uh, it's kind of set a path for folks to pay attention to here. But before I get to that question, uh, can, we, can, we, can we keep you a little bit longer? We got a little bit of a late start because, okay, great. All right, so, so I'm gonna get to that question, but I've gotta ask this question because I've never seen this before. Where does your given name come from? Siska, I've never seen that before. It's actually a Dutch name, ah. but, but if, you, if you Google it, you'll, you'll end up Finding only boys with the name, um, so it's a, it's mostly a predominant male name, but the story attached to it is quite cool. Actually, it's quite sentimental. So um, when my when my mother was pregnant with me, she said my father disappeared the one day, um, and he came back and he said to her, "But he went to sit underneath a camel thorn tree to think up what my name should be, and he wants to call me Siska because it'll always make him think of Christ." 
and I'm a gift from God. So he wants to call me Cisco because then it's got that connection. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Well, well, Chris is not actually my name. I was born on Christmas Day, hence the Chris. So uh, I've, been always, I've always been called Chris. So so there's a link there. That's pretty interesting. That's yeah. also to Jesus, but <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, what I want to say next yeah. is this, is that, and let me get your thoughts on this because you've actually lived it now. So I've I've been talking to South Africans uh, since I started this channel. I, that's where I was going when I started the story and I got distracted there. Uh, I, I, I started a consultancy with the Indaba Africa Group uh, in order to try to get American business to get into Africa before we missed the boat, you know, because by 2050, mm-hmm. Africa is going to have 2.4 to 2.6 billion people, over a billion people who are, con- almost a billion people are consumer market. It's where all the disposable income is going to be growing. That's where the great future and growth is in Africa. And, and American companies are just mm-hmm. sitting on the sidelines. So I'm trying, so I started this consultancy to try to get them there and, you know, make a little scratch on the side, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but um, the, uh, the lockdown came along and, and canceled a whole bunch of gigs I had set up. And of course, in consulting business, normally you have to be present to do it. So it's hard to do through Zoom. So um, I no. decided to take my existing YouTube channel and, and start kind of promoting, um, you know, Africa and start talking about it. I did uh, a video on Namibia's beef industry, which is one of my first ones, and it was really well received by people in the beef industry in Namibia. And then I went from there and, and started covering things. Anyway, but since I started talking on my live streams about about elections and about the ANC and about 2021, uh, a, a number of South Africans said, well, Chris, you're just naive. You just don't understand. Uh, no one can ever defeat. Black South Africans will never vote against against the ANC. And I'm like, well, the, that's not what the evidence proves. And, and why are you focused on, on people based on their skin color is the first thing. Just look to South Africans, get out there and be among them. So the path I've told people in 2021 in South Africa, which is different, they vote for party lists, which is unfortunate, but uh, in South Africa is you need to be an opposition party out in the townships, in the countryside right now, not 90 days before the election. Don't go out with posters and, you know, and and t-shirts 90 days before election. You need to connect with voters today. And in South Africa, the ANC has given voters a gift or given parties a gift. They are the party that banned the sale of open-toed shoes because they're hysteria over COVID. They are the party that banned e-commerce. You want to talk about something that stops stops COVID? E-commerce. They banned it. They banned That's tobacco true. use, alcohol, being on beaches, sitting in your yard by yourself. They've criminalized 250,000 South Africans through unconstitutional acts declared unconstitutional. If you can't defeat the ANC, then you're not trying, is my point. But the point specifically here is that in Namibia, not the same situation, but the anger and frustration with the lack of service delivery, also a South African issue, with the corruption, also a South African issue, and with the disconnect of the leaders of SWAPO, also a South African ANC issue, all of those things are similar, and the environment is similar in South Africa, but they have an opportunity to take it even further with the anger over what's happened over COVID. And what I'm telling opposition parties in South Africa is you need to be out there now. You need to be organized. You need to be talking to people. You need to be addressing them. And I hear, I get this from some white South Africans. Well, we, there's places we can't go. Well, if there's places you feel you can't go, then you're not trying hard enough. Uh, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I, I've been everywhere in South Africa. I don't, I don't hesitate going anywhere, including Hillbrow, uh, just because of the color of my skin. Of course, I'm a little more alert on the corner, street corner of Hillbrow, but I'm just saying. But my point is that you need, you need to be... You need to be out there. And I think that the opposition parties in Namibia, this is my view and I want your take on it. The opposition parties in Namibia have taken advantage of a very sour situation um, and, and, and not in a negative way. I'm saying that it's an advantageous situation. They, they, they've, they've seized the day. And there's another reason they seize the day. Municipal and local elections tend to have far lower turnout than national elections. So an opposition party needs far fewer votes to make an impact. And that's the argument I'm telling them in South Africa. Same thing. It's about 35 to 40% turnout in South Africa for municipal elections and the same sort of level in Namibia. So there is a recipe here. And Namibia's opposition parties, whether it's the Landless People's Movement or the IPC or whoever, have just shown the way for South Africa's opposition. 
That's mm -hmm. my thoughts. What do you think? It was a long kind of speech there. No, I, I agree 100 percent. You know, um, I'm, I'm not sure about the South African structure, but something that that that's very important to mention. And, and this is basically where my because obviously we have a system where you have to register to be able to vote. Mm -hmm. So my my whole campaign for for change way before I was a candidate started with this why you need to register to vote, you know, because if you're not registered, you can't vote. And it was because firstly, I found that people know nothing about Namibian politics. Um, in the sense of how our government works. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's the same in South Africa because I spent a lot of time in South Africa. I went to school there and we were never taught these things. So it's first and foremost, it's important to get to know what, what your government, how the inner structures work. We get so caught up in what America does, what the UK does, you know, the Middle East in politics and all of that. I can tell you exactly how the American system works, but I couldn't tell you how the Namibian system works. And, and what I found is, you know, and, and this is the easiest way of explaining it um, with our local elections and our regional elections. You know, we've got a similar system to, to the U.S. system where we've got you've got the Senate and the House of Representatives. We just call it the National Council and the National Assembly. Right. But they, they both houses of parliament and the National Council is actually the upper house of parliament. Mm -hmm. And you cannot pass a law in the National Assembly if it hasn't gone through the National Council. National Council needs to review and make suggestions back to the National Assembly. And so you can pass these laws between the two until you reach, you know, the common ground that both houses are happy with. Now, what's happened in the past is, you know, in, in America, it works very well because you've got the Democrats in the House of Representatives and you've got the Republicans in the Senate. And they've sort of they've gone to the max with the stalemate thing. But it's supposed to work like we only produce the best laws for the people because we represent the people. Um, and in Namibia, you know, up until this point, we we had, how many have we got in, in the National Council? 42. We've got 42 um, councillors in the National Council, of which only four was not SWAPU members. You know, so anything the National Assembly wanted to do ran through the National Council like water, because there was no opposition in the National Council to oppose these laws. And that's where I started telling people, if you want to make an impact on national level, you have to start now with your local um, elections because they serve there past the time period that you've got when you when you vote in the next president. They're there for another two years. So you've still got these fraud apples in your parliament. You, you can't just change the entire parliament with your national elections. And I'm sure the South African system works in the same way. So, again, I would infiltrate the system by getting hard into the, the, the local elections. And I'm sort of I'm sort of surprised that they haven't gone that route yet. You know, that, that the, the opposition hasn't really, you know, the DA tried it when they, you know, when they captured the, the um, what was it, Nelson Mandela Nelson uh, municipality. Yeah. Yeah, Nelson Mandela Bay and the Western Cape and a, a couple more, you know, um, but they but they didn't go hard enough in the um, the northern part of South Africa where they should have gone harder in for these local elections. And um, there, there's definitely a way to defeat the ANC. And we had a lot of hope for the DA. I think the DA, you know, they, they made a few mistakes over the past few years. Um, and I'm not sure, I, I, I can't exactly pinpoint and say this, you should have done differently and that you should have done differently. Oh, I mean, I, you guys have I, seen- I, I can't. Yeah, exactly. I can't. <laughs> I, can. <laughs> I can pinpoint it, but I'm, I won't be able to. 
And there's definitely something to be said about breaking, because what I've also found is you have to go into the townships, as you said. Mm -hmm. The people need to know you. They, they, the minute you arrive, they sort of still look at you at what are you doing here? What do you want from me? You know, at, up until you start conversing and you start speaking and you start telling the people and, and they can get to know you. And, and obviously, from my perspective, I was very open, honest and frank. And, and, and I said, I, I still do. I, I call a spade a spade and I say the things exactly as they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that was very well received amongst the people because they, they could see I'm not just another politician coming here to garner votes mm -hmm. um, because I'm using this as a stepping stone for a career. You know, I've I've I've. I'm a self-made woman. I don't need to have a job. I don't need, you know, I don't need the office. I want the office because I want to bring change. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the big turning point where they could, and the same with Dr. Ritula, you know, he's, he's a, he's a dentist. He, he's a, a reconstructive surgeon. So he doesn't need this. It's not something that, that, that will define him. Yeah. But he wants to do it for the people. And there's something to be said about an honest person, somebody that does something for the right reasons. People can see that yeah. and people appreciate that and they will follow that. But you have to break this mold of you're over there and I'm over there and we're not really mixing. Um, and unless somebody in South Africa gets that right, where they can really break down the barriers of racism, um, it, it won't happen for them. No, um, so, so I'm not sure if it needs to be a new party or if it needs to be a new candidate. Um, I'm not sure which which way South Africa needs to go, but th but that they do need, you know, a, a revolution at this stage is quite true. No, I don't disagree with that. It's uh, no, I appreciate what you're saying there. It's, it's absolutely true. It's like Donald Trump. I mean, I wasn't a Trump fan. He's a bit of a cad and a bore and, and he's a bully, but um he didn't need it. The guy didn't need it. Other than his, other than for his ego, he didn't need to be president. But he uh, he he put his fortune at risk, uh, and and he went ahead and did it. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people love the guy. Uh, I don't love him, but I enthusiastically voted for him. I'll, I'll admit that. <laughs> but uh, you don't but, have to love you don't have to love the person. He's not your friend as exactly. long as he can do the job. Exactly. That that's the bottom line. They're effective. Yeah. And and I like the approach you said. You know, like you said, Doctor Tula is a successful dentist. He, it's not like he needs this. It, it's it's you see one of the problems in South Africa is that is that the ANC has so corrupted the education system, made it worse than it was under apartheid, far worse at this stage. I mean, thirty thirty percent is the passing mark on the matrix. Mm -hmm. Give me a give me a break. Anyway. So, so they've so destroyed education in, in South Africa and taken it so far that the expectations amongst people are so low on what they're supposed to do. And instead of aspiring to be a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, an astronaut, a farmer, uh, you know, young ANC cadres aspire to be ANC cadres so they can be the corrupt ones who steal the tenders. And in fact, that became such yeah. a pervasive problem in KwaZulu-Natal that they were assassinating their own party members just a decade ago. Over 150 members of the ANC local ward councillors and, and were murdered because uh, someone else wanted that spot so they could get their fingers on the tender. And that's that's really mm -hmm. disturbing when that sort of thing happens. Um, but uh, I, like you, uh, I appreciate yeah, you, this is not something you have to do. You've, you've got other things you can do in life. You felt compelled to do it. I kind of feel the same way about my channel. Um, I, I don't need to do this. I mean, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not going to be uh, eating salty crackers, you know, on, on a corner and starving. I'm not a wealthy man, but I mean, I'm okay. I'll survive. I'm doing this because yeah. I'm <clears throat> trying to make a difference and make a change. And, and also, also I'm for the same reason I still got this beard. Uh, this is a lockdown beard and it's not going until the lockdown hysteria ends which at this point means I might have a beard for a couple of years. And the unfortunate part for me yeah. is I actually look older than my age now. I always look younger with the beard. I look older. So I'm starting to look like Pete Retief. 
Yeah, I, I can see it. Yeah. I can see you going. Yeah. So yeah. so that's uh, that. So that's a lockdown. And the channel I said I keep doing my live streams is uh, because of the lockdown. I hope it doesn't extend forever because it takes a lot of energy to do these li do these live streams. <laughs> it's a lot of work, <laughs> and it comes in the middle of the day. But uh, no, I do appreciate that. It's great when you have people who get into politics to make a difference. Uh, one of my one of my heroes was always Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett died at the Alamo. That's not why he's my hero, but he was a frontiersman and um, he went to Congress to make a difference. He went there, he did a couple terms and he came home and he was just a regular Joe again. That's what he did. So mm. I really appreciate that. But uh, when you get people who uh, spend their entire adult life in politics, uh, not experiencing life, all they know is like, uh, like Joe Biden, uh, all they know is, um, you know, <laughs> is, is the government. Oh, you're a politician. That's that's all you do. You, they have no experience in the private sector. They have no experience in running a business, but they want to run a country. I mean, I, it's just. Mm -mm. It's just crazy. You know what the the other thing, sorry that that I wanted to yeah. to still mention, um, which is very which is very important, and 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 this sort of hits home to many of the the white voters. With you talking about the the education system and the thirty percent pass rate. You know, if you've got a pool of people that you can choose from. And we're the only party that said grade 12 minimum requirement, you know, in South Africa that that doesn't exist. So if you've got a pool of people to choose from and the highest person in that pool has got grade 12, what are you going to get? You're always going to get a candidate or a politician with the highest qualification of grade 12, maybe. Because the doctors don't avail themselves as as candidates, the engineers don't avail themselves, the architects, the the town planners, the um, you know, the surgeons, they don't avail themselves to stand as a candidate. Now, if you've got a candidate in power, let's say for instance, we're all saying, and it, it's in South Africa the same, we're all saying, when is the Ministry of Transport going to put an engineer in as the minister? There's no engineers that's availed themselves to yeah. stand for those positions. Exactly. And if you've got a person that's a minister that's got a grade 12, you cannot tell me that they will appoint somebody with a higher quali qualification beneath them because that person will outshine them within the first week. So they will always appoint lower than themselves. And that's why the government, now with a 30% pass rate, it's just going to go backwards. It is because it is. the education gap is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the other thing, we've got the same problem here where our education is really failing our people. But the one thing they didn't take in, into consideration is common sense. And that's why they started voting for the white people again, is to say that, you know, we've never stolen from we've never been as corrupt as what they've currently experienced. And and those are the conversations they're having in the townships. Mm -hmm. They're saying Vote for the white people because they don't steal from us. You know, and that's a big change. And when I tell that to my white friends, they go like, really? Is, is that really what the people are saying? I'm like, yeah, get in there. Get in the go township. And have, <laughs> go and have Kapana with the guys and get to know each other. Understand where, where each other comes from. Don't just judge a person because they're different from you. You know, we've all got our cultures. We've got our histories. We've got our... Um, the things that makes us who we are, and if we can learn to appreciate that and respect that, then we've got a bright future. But but we we tend to judge first, and and that's something that that we've luckily in Namibia now sort of started to move away from, yeah. and we appreciate each other for our differences rather than than trying to judge each other for our differences. Yeah, you should celebrate differences. That's that's what makes things interesting. That's actual genuine diversity you know not not one of these one of those a black man a white woman you know that's not diversity yeah. 
That's what we're talking. Mm. So, so I have to do this. Uh, Afra Connor did a dad joke. He said, "Will, will, uh, will Siska rename the Orongo region Siskai, <laughs> like in the Siskai in South Africa?" That's funny. That's a good one. I actually like that one. We remember that one. But I, I, I had, I had a, uh, a, a senior moment there. I couldn't remember. But uh, Giselle is a spokesman or spokesperson. I mean, I'll play that woke game. But spokesman for the Atlantic Villa there in Swakopmund. You know, I'm sure you know the Atlantic oh. Villa. Yeah, there you go. I'm sure yeah. you know that place. Yeah, so she's a spokesman for them. Mm -hmm. so she she does adverts for them a lot. So, <laughs> all right. Well, let me. Oh. Here's, here's one thing I want to cover very quickly. This is important. We have, by the way, you should, in case you don't know this, um, I have, um, and you probably wouldn't know this, but about sixty percent, sixty five percent of my audience is based in South Africa, even though I'm an American, um, and I talk about all of Africa. But lots of South Africans are online, so I drew an audience from there. Plus, I have this affinity for South Africa. So about sixty five percent. But I have about one point three percent of my audience uh, viewing hours. I don't know how many members are from Namibia, but about 1.3% of the hundreds of thousands of views and hundreds of thousands of hours that get watched every month are from Namibia. And with data costing so much money, I'm incredibly grateful for that. There are a lot of Namibians. I mean, relatively speaking, it's a lot of Namibians watching my channel, so it's pretty cool. But what I wanted to say is the Namibians know this story already, and I'm aware of this. Um, I'd like to get your take on it. I try to explain to people that Botswana and Namibia are very different when it comes to race relations. They're not at all like South mm. Africa. Now, it would be easy to understand Namibia to be exactly like South Africa, what with apartheid-like legislation in place back in the day, um, and then it being yeah. a, a technically illegally occupied by South Africa, technically, although they had a legal nations mandate, but uh, the United Nations rescinded that. But anyway, so, so it would be easy to understand that there could be these racial tensions just like South Africa. Uh, Botswana is a different story. You don't see that at all. When you go to Botswana, if you're white and you're black, people get along by and large. No, nobody has this issue where people live with. If, if you have interracial relationships, people don't pay never mind. But go to Pretoria, go to Joburg, go to Cape Town. Well, maybe not so much Cape Town. Go to Durban and be a, a white man with a black woman or a white woman with a black man. And people just will look and stare just because that's still the norm. But in Namibia, it's a very different vibe. You don't you don't see black and white Namibians at each other's throats. You don't see this hatred being spewed all the time. You see politicians trying to divide people along those lines. But just my experience in Namibia, now I've never been below, below. Um, I've been down to Rehoboth in that part. Of, so I've only been to the central part of Namibia, east, west, a little bit to the north. But uh, I've never experienced that. And I tell people that race relations in Namibia are, I don't want to say cordial, but they're certainly not the caustic mix that we hear in South Africa. No, not at all. And and I think it's it's very much to do with the, with the people. Um, you know, I think, and I, I suppose I need to be careful. You know, but but for us, the people that we have in Namibia, between the white people, you know, the Afrikaans people, the German people, the Oshivambu people, the Oshiereru people, um, it's a very peace loving people. It's it's not a it's not people like for instance like you have in South Africa where you've got the Zulus, who who tends to be more aggressive and and who tends to be more um, you know a, a, a conquering nation you know they they want to conquer the the, the 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 smaller groups and that's that's their history and that's what they've always done you know um, you know we we know what they did to the to the Fuer trackers back then and all these sort of things and and that's their history that's what they've always done. Whereas we've never had that in South Africa, in, in Namibia, and I and I also don't think we ever had it in Botswana. And I think that's the main difference. There's not this this hatred. And also the other thing that you must remember, when we fought our our border war, it was fought against the South Africans, not necessarily the whites, because it was against the South Africans that was that that was fighting that fighting happened, you know. And and I think that's sort of where our people come from as well. 
where, where it's not, they, they don't see the white person as the enemy that they fought against, more that it, that it was this, this neighboring nation, you know, whatever their name is, it's, it's this neighboring nation that, that came to occupy Namibia and we didn't want that. Whereas in South Africa, you've got the same, you've got the same country still, you've got the same name still, it's only the dynamics that changed. And I think that's where the whole problem comes in. Um, we had an independence, a, a straightforward independence, name change. It was a, a clean cut, basically. You've never had that cut in South Africa. There was 1994, um, but it, 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 nothing, nothing visually sort of changed except the flag and the national anthem. You know, mm-hmm. it, it didn't become a new name. It's not a new place. It's just an old place that sort of left the, the history behind. And I think I think that's sort of part of it. We, we, you, you can't move past it because it's actually still just ingrained. And it's it's weird that when, when I land, for instance, at, at um, Uartambu, and the minute you get off the airplane and you walk into the airport building, you immediately feel that tension and you immediately feel that hate. Mm. And it's, it's maybe just a perception you know, it's maybe just a, a because we know there's a big media perception always being created, but but I don't like going to South Africa because I never feel welcome in the sense of you know in Namibia, like with these American friends that was here, we were driving in Vintuk, um, and this one Bucky came to stop next to me, and the guy looked at me and he and he waved and I waved at him, and my American friend said to me, "Do you know him?" I said, "No, we just." just the Namibian way we, we wave at each other you know we always greet each other I would walk in the streets and people we would greet each other it would be that was the hardest thing for me during during corona is wearing this mask because now I've actually I can't just smile I have to go hello 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 oh, it's, it's, fun, <laughs> it's, it's funny that you say that of Americans you must have been talking to some city slickers because that's how I grew up. I mean, we we drive it down the road. We drive in Appalachia. I mean, I see another car on the road. You just wave to people, you know. And yeah. and uh, I I well, you don't do that so much anymore these days where I'm at. But but uh, I'm often walking along the road, picking up rubbish, getting exercise in. Uh, I recycle aluminum cans rather than wa- watch them go into the, the water table. But uh, and I always wave to cars driving by, and they always wave to me. Some people honk, you know. So that's that's just that's a very American thing. So to hear Americans puzzled by someone waving to people, that's that sounds like a bunch of city slickers, uh, not my kind of folk. No, they're from New York, so uh, oh, that's it makes not sense. America. That's, I mean, that, that's a socialist paradise these days. <laughs> but uh, I won't I won't do it. <laughs> so there there is um, there there is there's an elephant in the room I want to get to, and before we close, and I think this is an important one. People need to know about this. And this is uh, the thing I always find funny when we're talking about white Namibians. You know, um, you've got Germans, and uh, I don't know the exact number. My estimate's probably about 35, maybe 40,000, probably not that high. But they have a lot outsized influence. They're very influential in Namibia, particularly in Vintok and Swakopmund and Luderitz, places like that, but not just there. Also in the tourism industry and the mining industry. But uh, Germans uh, and Afrikaners, you know, I, I go to restaurants and I hear the Afrikaners speaking and I hear the Germans speaking. And they all act like no one can speak Afrikaans or German, only they can. And, and you know, the, the Afrikaners are always making fun of the Germans because they're rude and they're prudish and they're stuck up. And, they're, and, they, and the Germans are always looking down their nose at, the, at these farmer hicks, you know, although a lot of the Germans are farmers too. There's the irony. But these farming hick, these, 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 these country oaks, these, these toothless boar, you know, that sort of thing. And then I noticed that their sons and daughters marry each other. What's up with that? <laughs> 
<laughs> we secretly just love each other. That's exactly. That's what it's all about. Exactly. We respect each other. My, my dad always had this this thing where he'd say, you you first have to blitz them a German before you, you before you can talk to him because otherwise they don't listen to you. <laughs> <Ooh. Yeah. laughs> that's actually pretty so that's, funny. It's an, an age-old fight between the Afrikaans and the Germans, and I think it comes from like the 60s, 70s. They've just always had this this friendly sort of bantering between the two, you know. Um, but yeah, we we do like the German Okies and the German Okies do like the Afrikaans girls, and makes for a good good match. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I can't explain it to you any other way than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, we could probably talk forever, especially since you're a rugby lady there. So, but we're not going to do that because uh, the daylight's disappearing behind you there, and I don't want to keep you forever. <laughs> What's that? So for me, I'm a bit of a chatterbox, so I don't really mind. Well, the problem is there's two chatterboxes in this stream, and so. <laughs> Well then, well, so let me let me ask you this then. Then we won't we won't end just yet. Then, if you're not ready to rush off, um, so because we have a good audience here. In fact, the biggest audience we've had all day. It's just grown. So we're gonna stay now because I'm desperate for attention on my channel. No, I'm just kidding. That's a response to <laughs> response to something somebody said recently. But um, so so what what um what are you hoping for here? I mean. Uh, are are you because this is what I want to talk about maybe on a future stream is that what a lot of people don't realize is that after 30 years of uh, SWAPO governance um, now they inherited this situation but after 30 years I mean come on three decades two generations maybe three generations of people you ought to be able, able to affect change when you control everything still half the country lives in abject poverty I mean less than two dollars and sixty cents per day is what most of the country or half the country lives on all these years later mm -hmm. and I'm sure that played a role in anger over Swakop moon either either not creating jobs or creating an environment ecosystem in which business can flourish and, and to be fair it's a small country uh, but Botswana has done well and and they also still mm -hmm. have about 40 percent of the population in poverty so so poverty still remains a major issue. Is that is that a major concern in Swakop Moon? And, and is that something you can tackle in your responsibility or is it more of a national thing? Look, um, f firstly, I need to clean, clear it up. Um, when Namibia was became independent from South Africa, we received the country with zero debt. Yeah. So we had no no debt whatsoever. So so we, we were really able to start on a clean slate. And... Um, so the, the poverty was inherited, um, but not not to the extent that that Swapu would like you to believe, you know, because the major amount of looting happened over the past thirty years. I, what, I mean, let me, let, me let me clarify this, Cisco. What I mean by that is not 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 that the, the 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 state was in debt. I mean that the average person, about half the population, didn't have much of an income. Is what I mean. They lived poorly. Is what I mean. Yeah, look, and, and the big thing was the lack of industry. Yeah. So because South Africa, because we were linked to South Africa, we didn't need industry of our own. But one would have thought that you know when when Swapo came into power, that that would have been part of the their initial five year plan. You know, is to create industry for Namibia, to get Namibia, you know, truly independent. Because we're not truly independent from South Af South Africa. We still peg to the rand, for instance, and we can't unpeg because it'll be a disaster. Because we don't have industry, we don't have food security, we don't have jobs, we don't have any of these things. We we're so reliant on South Africa that we only actually independent by name and and by, by political power, you know. And and that's part of the problem. And and yes, that is something I can tackle in in my region. And it is something that I have a mandate to to address. 
And that's part of your, your previous question as to how supportive will the government be with regards to projects like that. And I believe that that I'm not even thinking along government lines. I'm thinking purely private sector. I'm thinking purely, um, you know, partnerships with the private sector. I'm thinking, um, you know, donations from outside so that we can establish, you know, small businesses and grow that into revenue streams back for the council and into revenue streams for the community and those sort of things. Because I understand that, that I can't ask anything of the government at this stage. I, I'll simply not get it and I'll, it'll be a time waster. So I'm already, you know, engaging with the local authorities and these, these people to, to understand what they need as well is so that we can move in one direction. Because now what's happening is, for instance, there's grants being given out to SMEs from a development fund. And at the same time, there's low-cost houses being built in the same area as where these SMEs are being put up through these grants. But they don't talk to each other. So the houses, I would have gone and said, these SMEs, I'm going to make them into, um, you know, little businesses that do doors and windows or, you know, uh, molds for toilets or these sort of things so that I can buy that and put that into my my affordable house. But but that, there's this sort of disconnect where we, we're plodding along on this side while we're plodding along on this side, but the one is not interacting with the other. Um, it's like we've got green schemes and we've got a food bank. But the food bank doesn't buy from the green scheme. So so we're wasting money through buying from, you know, um, mostly South African companies where we could be buying from our own local producers. Mm-hmm. And those are the sort of things that, that I can have an immediate effect on by just getting an overview of exactly what's going on. And, and that's sort of my, my holiday homework. I won't have much of a holiday because I've got a few acts, you know, to get it up to speed with and to understand I, I'm, I'm going to go buy a big whiteboard because after our induction, I'm just even more confused, you know, because of all these little things and there's just holes being plugged with committees and holes being plugged with more staff and, you know, all these things. And, and I sort of want to get a big overview so that I can say, let's pull this all together and then pull together with the other towns in the region as well so that we can get to a collective goal. Um, and, and that hopefully will result in creating jobs and, you know, lifting people out of poverty and, and giving them a future. You know, even if we just start small and they can build on it, then we've already done a good job because currently everything is just going backwards. Well, I just I realized, that I just realized <laughs> something. No, no, that's correct. I just realized something. Um, if there's a time in which uh, we sit in a coffee shop, you and I and Jürgen Eisel, or not Jürgen, <laughs> Johan Eisel, I was reading something, Johan Eisel, who's Giselle's husband, the three of us, um, will probably wind up having the police show up because the uh, the uh, the owners of that shop will ask us to leave hours after they've shut down while we're all still sitting there <laughs> chatting about things. The three of us in a room, wow, that we, we'd have to pull out some, I don't know, some amphetamines or something because we'd be up for days chatting. Pretty scary thought. Yeah, uh, Jürgen, yeah. this is why I was yeah, Jürgen came to my mind, not Johan, but Jürgen Hlasik. He said, "I'm half German, half Afrikaans. I love both my family sides." See, there you go. There's one right there. Um, there you go. Exactly what I said. Uh, Lars Salas, who's from Namibia, says, "If a car breaks down in Namibia, you can stop and ask for help or phone someone. In South Africa, you just keep driving past." No, that's a true statement. I mean, <laughs> even here in the states, you have to get a little bit leery in some places. Now, you, you know, uh, Germany has a good Samaritan law in which if you don't stop for a motorist who's broken down, you can be charged with a crime. Uh, so I'm always oh, really? been in that, you know, yeah, I've always been in the habit of here in the states growing up that you just stop and help people. And then I went to Germany; it was a law. So, so my natural inclination is to stop. And in Africa, I typically have done that. But honestly, in South Africa, you really you put your life at risk in a lot of places. Um, 
It's it's yeah. really it's really crazy because you have malicious people who are waiting to, to prey on you. So that's now. Let me ask this one for you, Siska, because you're you're a woman and um, you're in you're now in politics. Whether you want to be a politician or not, you are in politics. So this is a massive issue around the world, but especially in South Africa, it's horrific. Um, what's it like uh, from a standpoint? And is this a major issue in Namibia? Gender-based violence is that a big problem in Namibia? Oh, it's massive, and the big problem is the lockdown made it a lot worse. That's you know, what because I now. Now you have access to no. beat on people 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. So it's really, a, it's become a very, very big problem and it's only starting to surface now. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, we've always had a gender-based violence problem, but it's really sticking out like a sore thumb at the moment. Um, and, and, and I don't yet have a full on solution for it. You know, it's for many of these, these issues and these problems, I've already started thinking, you know, about solutions and we've come up with solutions and I've engaged with people. Um, but there's no clear solution for me at this stage, which will be a quick fix. You know, we, we, we have to address the problem, obviously, first and foremost, we have to be very strict with our law enforcement. But further to that, we, we have to, and that's where the long-term thing comes in. We have to put up centers. That will that the vulnerable people can go to where they will be protected. But we don't have that. We don't have centers for children. We don't have, you know, our social workers are, although they, they, they're working very hard, I'm not sure if they're getting all the resources and all the help that they need to get in order to take these children out of these homes. And then where do they go with them, you know, and where do they go with the women that are being abused? And the hospital system is failing. So, so you can't go there because, you know, you'll sit in line for an hour or the whole day and still not get treated, you know, and, and, and then you've got to actually go back to work because you're in a poverty situation. And the list just goes on and on and on and on. Um, and it, and it is a big problem, you know, for me with, with my personality, I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't allow it. So I would probably take down the power pan and hit somebody that, that tried to abuse me, you know. So that's also, but but that, that's again an education thing where you, where you have to get, and that's why I'm saying it's a long-term problem, where you have to get down, you know, to the, to the young girls and talk to them why it's not okay and why not to allow it even the first time it happens, you know, and yeah. to make sure that you stand up for yourself and, and teach them what it means to have self-respect and teach them what it means to be, you know, where you, you as a woman, um, a man must give you that respect. It's not something you need to earn. Just the pure fact that you're a woman, a man is your protector and, and he must give you that respect. You know, and, and, and that's why I'm saying there's no quick fix to this thing. We've, we've got a lot of work to do with regards to the gender-based violence. And, and it's a very sore point for me because especially it's happening to young girls as well. And, and what life is ahead for them, you know, after they've been through experiences like that, I, you know, it, it's, I, I don't want to think about it because it's, it's, if, if I think about it, it's already traumatic. So how much more traumatic is it to them? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's really one of the things that's really high on my priority list. And I've already started asking the questions and it's, and, and I'm not getting a lot of answers because, you know, the, the, the guys that's been assigned with these tasks to, to start solving the problem, they really don't know. They, they really don't have the education. They're not being, you know, given the tools to address the problem, nothing like that. So we, again, we are just putting a bandaid on a very serious wound. No, absolutely. And, and from my perspective, this is just sharing my view on this because this is more of a conversation than an interview, clearly at this stage. But uh, no, from my perspective, uh, government really isn't the answer. It's, it can be part of the answer, but it's 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 cultural change, societal change, mm -hmm. and, and, it, and it pervades all ethnicities. I mean, we have it here in the U.S. Um, 
I, I, a couple years ago, because uh, as a full colonel, I was doing the job of a private because they didn't have anybody at the, at the war college who spoke French other than me. And so I spoke, uh, I spoke French and we had a foreign student here um, who was a colonel and who was beating a spouse and she didn't speak any English. So I got drugged into a domestic situation. And so I saw this, I mean, I, I've known, you know, of course I've known this my whole life, but this is a very recent issue and um, actually had to play a role in going to the courthouse to translate and to be an interpreter, go to the attorney's office, go to immigration, to a lawyer, to the women's shelter and all those things. And so uh, from my perspective, I saw the role of the government and there is a role, but to me, I think the private sector can also play a role in the community. So for instance, um, I doubt there's any shelters for women and children right there in Swakamoon. Um, so there's a start right there. Maybe somebody needs to look at a property and that could be something donated by the private sector, you know, and, and there's just a start there. So, I mean, it's, it's a tough, tough, tough nut to crack because um, it's such a thing that people just don't want to talk about. They want to ignore it. And then we, without even getting into this, this is, you know, when lockdown started, one of the reasons I did this is because people can only watch so much of Mnet before they want to slice their wrist. You know, they're tired of watching DSTV. So yeah. you know, looking for something else. So I wanted to talk about issues and events and do interviews like this and musicians and artists and such and, and talk about events. And so that's one of the reasons why I did the stream. But I caution people. I said, one of my real concerns about this with this lockdown, because it was draconian in South Africa, they would arrest you for walking out of your house, is is social, yeah. social isolation, uh, depression, suicide, and then the things that people don't like to talk about. I mean, not that people like to talk about those, but gender-based violence, spousal abuse, and incest. Uh, I haven't heard no one talk about incest, but if you have small children, mostly girls, but not exclusively girls, small children around their abusers, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, then the abuse is just gonna ratchet up a notch. There's no way they're not gonna take advantage of that, that access to the target of their abuse. And these are things that no politicians are talking about uh, around the world at all. And it's very disturbing. Uh, and then on top of that, now we keep kids out of school and we're harming children and forcing yeah, them to learn how to adapt to adapt to facial expressions from adults when you can't see their face. How do you know, how do you know how to gauge a person's face when you're a toddler and this is all you see all the time? just without the beard <laughs> yeah it's just crazy stuff but anyway so that's that's kind of my thoughts on it from a uh, from a um private sector perspective you, you keep talking about the private sector a lot too I, I take it that's because you have a lot of faith in the private sector look we, we actually had this discussion this afternoon during a town council you know when i when i spoke with them um the i have a lot of faith in the private sector i don't think the private sector had a lot of faith in the in the political sector mm -hmm. In the, in the situation that it was in, you know, in the, but now that the climate has changed, I think the private sector will start giving their inputs again and will come to the party because, you know, they're not just aiding and abetting corruption, they're now actually helping the people. And I think if we can get that, that message through, then we will get a lot of support from the private sector because people inherently want to help. They want to be involved in projects. They want to be in, involved in their community and they want to help people. That's, that's a basic human need. So, um, I really believe that that if we can get, you know, if we can convince them that we're here to stay first and foremost, and if we can can, can convince them that um, that we're here to do good, I definitely think the private sector will 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 toe the line. No, I think that's great. It's our social responsibility, so what's that needs to happen? I say it's our it's our social responsibility, so it needs to happen. Yeah, no doubt about it. By the way, uh, never get rid of those frames. Those, those are very much. Uh, the, that's kind of like I, I'm a rugby shirt wearing guy who drinks the Starbucks. But those glasses really make you easily identifiable. They suit you well. That's that could become your trademark. You. I don't know where you got those frames at, but they're uh, they're pretty cool. I have to say that. So. <laughs> cool. Thanks very much. I won't. I'll just go bigger. 
Oh, okay. Well, that, you could do the Elton John approach. Just get the bigger ones there. There's there's a couple comments from the chat. Hendo said, this stream is turning into a Namibian promotion. Saffers looking to move there. Yeah, a lot of South Africans in chat are like, I want to move to Namibia. That sounds a lot better. Yeah, I could see why you'd want to. <laughs> and then Andre Lowe said, I wonder how many lower level politicians like this exist all over the world. The people who actually keep the world going. Very impressive. No race baiting or BS. Uh, I, I changed it from what he wrote uh, to BS. Just a clear desire to help. Wow, that's very, very, uh, I'm not generous, but very kind. Very, very nice of uh, him to say that. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> Um, your husband, um, we're coming up on two hours and when we do finish the stream in a little bit, um, you, you know, just tell me we're talking about rugby. You're watching a rugby match. it will be okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, you know, we've got a charcoal factory, so we produce the charcoal briquettes in, um, Karabip. So, you know, one of the newspapers wanted to do this whole story on me and that. And I said to them, I challenge you to find another candidate who's already employing 200 people. So if you can bring me that candidate, I will give you all the dirt on myself and then you can write whatever sensational piece you want to write. So I never heard back from them again because I don't think there are any other candidates that's already employing 200 people. No, I seriously doubt um, that. <laughs> so yeah, he's still out on the on the factory, you know, so so he'll be back only only late. But but otherwise, he's also a chatterbox. Oh. So you'll have two of us in your hands. Well, if we get Johan Eisel together, my goodness, and we sit down at Atlantic yeah. Villa or something like that, they'll be kicking us out. Uh, we closed four yeah. hours ago. Could you people just leave now? <laughs> just go to the room and, and just continue it so the staff can go home. Yeah. Now there was, I want to get this, this chat. This was back on the gender based thing. Let me find it very quickly here. It's, uh, Erica wrote this. It was very funny. So I got to do it. Uh, I'm going to miss it. Where does she get? Oh yeah. She says, if anyone claps me, I'll clap them back. And at 411, my reach is low. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite funny you know there was, this, there was this video that surfaced oh it was probably two years ago of this this young lady in a polo mm -hmm. and and she was she parked in front of a uh, of a townhouse complex in front of the gate and these two hijackers came around and they were they were knocking on the window with their guns and you could literally see the young girl sitting in the car going like this <laughs> on the window with the guns and she's going and the first time I saw it I said to my husband that chick's from Namibia I promise you I promise you she's from Namibia <laughs> next day she's from Chubib <laughs> in Namibia <laughs> I said, oh, we were so told you know we were so taught to fight back you never give up so even if the hijacker both of them they eventually shot into the car and that's when she got out you know but she was literally sitting there shaking her head at them when, when they were telling her, get out. And she's like, nope, not happening, you know. And and that's so ingrained, in, and that's why I appreciate the the comment from Erica, you know, saying that, that if he claps me, I'll clap him back because it's exactly the way we are. You know, we had one of our oldest surgeons got attacked here in Swakopmund. Oh, it's one of these, these silly things, you know, where somebody wanted his wallet and he, he pulled out his knife to attack this old man. And Dr. Bass pulled out his knife as well. And he said, okay, let's fight. You know, <laughs> and they fought back. But but that's the way yeah. that's the way we are. We 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 fight back. And it was very disturbing for me during this whole um these BLM protests and these things going on. You know, we we young girls, you would see these videos on social media where young girls would be attacked. And I and I said to my husband, there's no way if if you knew me when I was a 16-year-old, I would have kicked and screamed and bitten people and I would have fought till death 
but nobody will ever touch me, you know, mm -hmm. in, in such a manner where, where I feel threatened. And I think that's also part of the education that we need to bring back to the young girls is stand up. You know, it's it's fight back. There's no reason for you not to fight back. There's there's no nothing that that prevents you from from fighting back. You know, and and I think that's also something that still our fathers in Namibia do a very good job in teaching us as young girls. You know, I had a bully at school, and and that was the last time I was bullied was when I was ten. And he said to her, well, put him in a chokehold until he passes out. He'll never bully you again. And I did, and he never bullied me again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that was that was the answer. When I said I'm being bullied, he said, well, do something about it. And that's the way we grew up. And I think that's really something we must instill in young girls again is to say, fight back. There's no reason for you not to fight back. Stand up for you, what you believe in and, and go for it. Well, there's something here that's not a solution to everything, Siska, but and it's certainly not something under your purview at, at the regional level, but maybe you have some influence over it. And it's something I harp on all the time. If we And, and it, 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 what I'm saying is it doesn't solve all these problems, but it certainly improves self-worth, self-esteem, and confidence, particularly in women and girl, young girls, and that's education. We see it with birth rates. In countries with astronomically high birth rates in Asia and Africa, when girls get higher and higher level education, I'm talking about getting through primary school, that cuts the birth rate demonstrably because girls learn about themselves, get a little bit of confidence and their relations, their sexual relations. Then if you continue to get through secondary school, when you get up to there, then you start getting even more benefits of girls with self-esteem, self-confidence. It's not perfect. We all have our, our, our own, you know, our own foibles, but, but generally speaking, getting a proper education gets women and girls to a more even level playing field that they will be better in society. They'll be able to react to these situations better. They'll, they'll, they'll not have uh, unnecessary pregnancies that they did or unwanted pregnancies. All these things contribute, but the key is education. And I'm not talking about specific education, about sex education, it's just education in general. The more literate, the more informed, the more critically thinking women and girls are, the better off we all are. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Um, that that's one of the our big drives on a national level. You know, we're just not there yet. We we really need to focus on education. And I mean, Dr. Itula has got 11 qualifications. Um, one of that is his medical degree, and he's got a law degree. So he's absolutely one for education. And um, for me as well, I, I I feel that that's the key to the future, is to educate the, the people. You know, and and make sure something I didn't know is up north in Namibia. We, we only found it out now during campaigning. One of the guys said to me, but you know what? We only go to school maybe twice a week. And I say, why is that? And he says, no, because somebody needs to watch the cattle. Yeah. So they literally rotate the kids to say, today's your turn to watch the cattle and you can go to school. Tomorrow it's your turn to watch yeah. the cattle and you can go to school. You know, And, and it's very sad to think that the, the level of education is already not great. And now they're only getting two to three days a week. Yeah, no, I'm, so familiar, it, I'm familiar with that because the cattle post in Botswana, it's the same sort of situation. And so you have kids who are yeah. undereducated or not properly educated because there's no one else to keep an eye on the cattle. It's pretty sad. Now, the, 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 the young lady who was, you know, shaking her head when they were trying to get in a car with the gun. Um, so this was a comment from Christoph Havanga, your old schoolmate there from Parle. He said, maybe the lady thought they wanted to sell the guns. She was just so innocent. No, I think, Christoph, it probably wasn't the case because they weren't South African police service officers. Ooh, slam. <laughs> they weren't saps, so why would they be selling guns? Ooh. Oh, Chris is naughty. There goes the Christmas list. <laughs> 
Santa will make me pay now. But see, I'm Santa this year, so that's going to happen. By the way, we're having a Christmas program coming up the week of Christmas. You might want to watch that. We've got musical guests on. Um, and so uh, maybe Danny Bota. Danny Bota will be on here, and then Giselle, and maybe, maybe, maybe Monty Jackson. I'm waiting to hear back from him, so we'll see. Anyway, um, <laughs> Christoph says, on average, education equals baby production decline. No, it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. Anyway, so, mm. all right, listen, um, we, we got to stop being chatterboxes. Uh, not that I'm going to rush to get out of here, but I will send you uh, by email my mobile number. And so we can be in touch if you like. You're welcome to come on anytime. If you want to talk about an issue in Namibia, and there's actually a fair number of Namibians that watch this program, black and white and and bosters, not colored, <laughs> who watch the program. So you're welcome to come back on. And, and I'd like to invite you back on uh, as things get progressing to see how it's going, if you don't mind. But anyway, yeah, so sure. before we wrap up, um, anything you want to leave us with? Any thoughts or hopes or aspirations? It is the festive season. It is Christmas, although you're not going to have much of a Christmas, apparently, because you're busy working. And by the way, you were talking earlier about going to Skeleton Coast. You come back through civilization, your phone's beeping. You thought that was annoying. Now that you are a politician, that's really going to be annoying. <laughs> all the time but oh, you know what my mom always says in for a penny in for a pound exactly. so i signed up for this exactly. yeah no for some some you know just some remarks thanks very much for having me on the show it's it's been great i've, I've really enjoyed talking to you and and thanks for the viewers as well and everybody putting the giving their inputs and you know and um, being a part of the conversation it's it's quite refreshing and yeah, for the for the Christmas season, just be good to your fellow man and, and, and make sure that the people are okay around you. Ask them, you know, if they need help. And especially with the hard lockdowns and the things that, that has happened this year, I think it's just important to really get get down and get in touch with people. Um, it's easy to buy a gift, but rather give the gift of your time and go sit with the old people and ask them if they're okay and, and, and take that extra five minutes and, and talk to people. Because conversations at the end of the day is much more valuable than than spending money on gifts. So if if I can leave you with that um, that little bit of advice. <laughs> well, no, that's that's Just well that's well stated and. and no, it's well stated, and, and and I can echo that because my mother passed away last Monday, and um, over the past seven or eight months, I spent a lot more time talking to my mother, and then actually got a chance to go visit her while she was still lucid, and and um, and uh, she was capable of talking to me. I spent three days with her just a few weeks before she mm -hmm. passed away. So, so I agree with you. It's uh, and it's it's difficult in this age when people are keeping us away from the elderly because of the COVID stuff. But whatever you can do. Uh, that that's if you can just talk to them on the phone or or Skype or Zoom or whatever it takes, reach out to folks, especially those who are isolated. So great thoughts, Siska. I really appreciate that. And hopefully people listen to you. By the way, there are there are so many really awesome things people are saying about you in the chat that I, I just I can't cover them all because it'll it'll eat up another twenty minutes and we're not gonna do that. <laughs> no, but thank you very much. I appreciate it and I I appreciate the interest from everybody on the chat. You know, it's it's great to see people are are interested in, in, in what we've got to say. And, and that's already a, a very big step in the right direction. No, I agree. And you're going to have to help me get Dr. Tool on sometime soon because we got to get him on now. <laughs> but, oh, uh, you, you've got to have time for that. Yeah, well, I've, I've, got this, I've got this jaw pain, so maybe he can help me with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic idea. <laughs> well, thank you, Chris. I really appreciate your, you taking the time and getting in touch with us as well. All right. Thank you very much, folks. Uh, Siska Smith-Howard from the IPC from Namibia. Thanks a lot, Cisco. I'll let you step out of the chat right there and I'll wrap up the show. There she goes. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been epic. Wow. 
Really awesome stream. We got a little bit of late start, some snafus technology, but we overcame that. Thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate your sticking with us, particularly when you know it's a sign that uh, I may not have my guest if I start playing music at the beginning of a stream like this in a special feature. So we started with Uns Mensa and then went on to play Side Vest. But uh, thank you for your patience. That gave us time to get everything sorted out and we got Cisco on the program. Wow, really awesome. Uh, a lot of people saying really wonderful things and with good reason. Uh, fascinating uh, person, uh, fascinating candidate. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to get to know her here on the stream. It was my first time actually talking to her. I hope you guys found it uh, fascinating and interesting. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Prinzlu, for the uh, super chat there at the beginning of the stream. Wow, man, it was an awesome super chat. Really appreciate it. Clem, thank you so much. Teresa, thank you. Afra Connor says, Cisco's great ambassador for the Namibian people. I think so. I think so. Two says, it possible for South African to buy property in Namibia? Um, I believe you can, but I can't swear to that. Uh, to, so you can check into it pretty easily. Um, do a little search on it. Uh, good evening to all the bosters, says Christoph Havanga. Christoph, that was pretty cool that you guys uh, went to school together. I had no idea. That's pretty awesome. Thank you so much to Siska for being my guest today. That was really awesome. That's I'm, I'm kind of stoked about Christmas now. I mean, uh, when you have a great guest on the program, it's always uh, enjoyable. You get a good rush and adrenaline. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, we're over 100 likes. 77 people still watching. Come on, smash the like button, people. That was awesome. She's amazing. Uh, she's amazing. Um, yeah, and now, I, di I didn't do this, but maybe on another stream, I'll talk to her about the charcoal industry because I'm not a big fan. <laughs> no, I'm not a green eco-environmental terrorist, Nazi, freaking, you know, lunatic environmentalist. I am a conservationist, so I'm curious about conservation and, and how they go about that. That would be pretty cool to find out about. Anyway, so smash the like button before we go, folks. Thanks a lot. We're coming up on two hours. I'm going to close out here. Fantastic uh, interview uh, guest. Uh, like I said, more of a conversation on Chris White Africa. So thank you all for tuning in.